coming up next on the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. We'll be listening to some of my favorite scores from 2022. This is the final part of a four-part series. And on today's program, you'll hear selections from such composers as Grant Kirkhope, Gareth Coker, Yoko Shimomura, Abel Korzhanovsky, Bruce Broughton, Joel McNeely, Kevin Kaska, Simon Franklin, and Bear McCreary. My name is Eric Woods. Thank you very much for tuning in to the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound radio podcast, which begins now. Streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And welcome to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. My name is Eric Woods, the founder and executive producer of this podcast. I'm also a proud member of the International Film Music Critics Association. This podcast is a celebration of everything film, TV, and video game music. There's something in this podcast for everyone, whether you are a film music veteran or a movie music newcomer. I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to give this show a listen, and I hope you enjoy the program. Of course, I cannot forget our patrons who help make this show possible. If you'd like to join the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast Patreon, then please head over to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. So this is our last part of our four-part series to my favorite scores of 2022, and I know we're late in August and I'm still going on about 2022. This is a long episode or a long series. I didn't expect it to go this long, but hey, we got it done, and I, I just hope you enjoy this journey back to last year, and these are my five favorite scores from last year, and I think this show is going to be absolutely dynamite to listen to. In at number five is my favorite video game score of 2022, Mario plus Rabbits, Sparks, and Hope. The game is a crossover between Nintendo's Mario and Ubisoft's Rabbits franchises and is a sequel to Mario plus Rabbits Kingdom Battle, which was released in 2017. The three composers tasked to work on this score were Grant Kirkhope, Gareth Coker, from Ori and the Blind Forest, and Yoko Shimomura from Street Fighter II, Kingdom Hearts, Legend of Mana, Super Mario RPG, and various other games. Now, the producers of this game were super keen to make sure that this game was head and shoulders above the last one, including animation, programming, artwork, music, sound effects, the whole lot. Wired Magazine talked to the people involved in making the game and music, and here's what they had to say. The positive reception of Kingdom Battle meant that audio director Roman Briul, creative director Davide Solani, and composer Grant Kirkhope were soon discussing plans for the sequel. Solani wanted to do what Nintendo does with all of its sequels, go bigger. Spark of Hope would have more intense battles and boss fights, more RPG elements, more locations to explore, more rabid caricatures of iconic Nintendo characters, and, much to Kirkhope's surprise, more composers. Breul had this to say, quote, 
We wanted to keep Grant because he's the musical identity of the first game and what it sounds like to blend the Mario universe with rabbits. He brought the silliness of rabbits, Grant being Grant, and also these big, epic, and memorable narrative moments which result in the epic, friendly style to the game, end quote. Sparks and Hope is a much bigger game and has a darker tone than its predecessor, so Braille wanted to add new elements of musical color to the score. This was especially important given the diverse landscapes of the worlds you explore and the heavier focus on Marvel-esque narrative moments. With one legendary composer already on board, Briol thought he'd try his chances and shoot for two more. Briol, again, is quoted as saying, As a director, I needed new colors, and we were lucky enough to have Yoko Shimomura and Gareth Coker both saying yes to the game. I believe it's a perfect mix of dedicated styles. End quote. Kirkhope says this extra push resulted in the best music he had ever written, and the Ivor Novellos agreed with him as his score won the best original video game score. The catchy tunes are what make this music so fantastic. The score is bursting at the seams with melodies, and Grant Kirkhope has a knack for creating themes that stick in the mind. Fans of Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, amongst other games, will be able to hum his tunes with ease. The trio of composers on this game created vibrant, upbeat, and optimistic music. It's just plain enjoyable to listen to. You only ever hear consistently upbeat music as you move from one cue to another. And at the conclusion of the game and the album, you are left with this giant smile on your face. And that's simply so refreshing, especially in a time when extreme seriousness and realism may occasionally result in music that is uninteresting, dreary, dark, and unpleasant. Although there's nothing inherently wrong with such tone when it's required, a soundtrack like Sparks of Hope is, well, it's just full of hope. I want to see more scores like this in the future, and there are a lot of them in the gaming world. Just listen to Eric Silver's One Up Beat here on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast for more examples of music like that. But the themes, melodies, and pure, unadulterated pleasure is sorely lacking in modern film and TV, especially from film and TV shows that you would expect to have a sound like this. Here now, my number five favorite score of 2022 and my favorite video game score of 2022, Mario Plus Rabbit's Sparks of Hope, music by Grant Kirkhope, Gareth Coker, and Yoko Shimomura.
Music from Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope. My favorite video game score of 2022 and my number five favorite score overall. And that was music by Grant Kirkhope, Gareth Coker, and Yoko Shimamura. And the original soundtrack recording is available on Ubisoft Music. Bringing you the very best music for film, TV, and video games, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. In at number four, music by Abel Korzhanovsky from the film Emily. Emily's a biographical drama written and directed by Frances O'Connor in her directorial debut. It is a part fictional portrait of English writer Emily Bronte. Polish composer Abel Korzhanowski is, in my opinion, one of the best film composers working today. On top of this score, he also scored Till, which we played on an earlier episode of this Favorites of 2022 series. Till is extraordinary, but Korzhanowski takes it to the next level with Emily. For those that think that the haunting, emotional, timeless, melodic orchestral scores for serious dramas have gone the way of the dodo, well, don't fault Korzhanowski because he's doing his best to keep that sound alive in film. And it was brave of first-time director Francis O'Connor to realize that live orchestral music conveys emotional power better than any other music written for film. When talking to Sean Wilson at Spitfire Audio, this is what Abel Korzhanovsky had to say about his music. Quote, the first theme is the first cue that you hear in the film for the opening credits. You have this turbulent violin, and it's the first time you hear the church organs coming in. Then you have a theme which is essentially for the whole structure. This occurs during Emily's failed attempt to become a teacher in Brussels. There are many themes. There's a group of cues that rely on the tingling, trembling, hovering sound of the entire orchestra. And there are three or four cues following this idea, including the scene of them taking drugs. You have the sharp notes on the violin and everything in the background oversaturates our senses, end quote. There's so much to unpack with this score, and I don't have time to go through it all. I highly recommend you read the interview on Spitfire Audio to get a deeper understanding into the score. But I will say this. Korzhanowski is just a gift that keeps on giving. He's a thoughtful composer, making sure that the tone is absolutely pitch perfect for the film that he's writing for, while at the same time challenging the audience with music that sometimes goes against the film to bring out aspects of the characters, places, and ideas in the film that aren't necessarily obvious to the viewer. That's just what good film music does. He's written some highly intellectual scores throughout his career, and Emily is one of the best combining beautiful classicalism with challenging, harsh, abrasive, modern sensibilities, which adds numerous layers to his compositions and the emotions he's conveying underneath the narrative. Here now, a suite of music from the film Emily with original score by Alba Korzhanowski. Thank you. 
Music from the original motion picture soundtrack to Emily, music composed and conducted by Abel Korzhanovsky, and the original soundtrack recording is available through Spitfire Audio. And that is my number four favorite score of 2022. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. In at number three, and in any other year, this would easily be my number one favorite score of the year and my favorite television score of the year, but it's situated in number three, and I think as you finish this program, you'll know why. But we're going to talk about The Orville right now. It is a, a wonderful homage to Star Trek. First couple of seasons were on Fox and then it was picked up by Hulu for season three and renamed The Orville New Horizons. The show's the brainchild of Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane, who also stars as this series' protagonist Ed Mercer, an officer in the Planetary Union's line of exploratory space vessels in the 25th century. And the first two seasons of this series featured some of the best orchestral music to come out of all three major media mediums, film, TV, and video games. How McFarlane managed to afford large-scale thematic scores from Bruce Broughton, John Debney, Andrew Cotty, Joel McNeely is beyond me. It must have cost him a small fortune. All of these scores were recorded on the Newman scoring stage with a 70-piece orchestra. The great thing about these scores is that they play the drama, not the comedy. The first season had more of a comedic tone to it, but as the series progressed, especially into the third season, the episodes became much more serious in tone, tackling different and difficult topics, very much comparable to the likes of Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. As we get into season three, as I said, which is now called The Orville New Horizons, composer extraordinaire Kevin Casca has now joined the team. Casca, a successful composer in his own right, has written some extraordinary concert works that have been performed all over the world. Casca has also worked with fellow Orville alum John Debney, having first been asked to orchestrate music based on The Passion of the Christ for a 70-minute chorale orchestral concert work. We've actually featured Casca's material on this show before. I highly recommend checking out a show called Five Awesome Composers Who Need to Be Scoring Hollywood Films. Season three of The Orville opens with a splendid episode called Electric Sheep. As The Orville is refitted and repaired following the battle against the Kalon, most of the crew struggle with Isaac's presence on board. Isaac, who in the second season betrays his friends and helps start a war between his race, the Kalons, and the Union. Kevin Casca was tasked with scoring this opening episode, and that was one of the most exciting things that I read uh, before seeing this episode. And the music is everything I expected and more. It's nothing short of brilliant. Hiring Casca once again proves why this is hands down one of the best scored TV series in the past five years. There were two key sequences where I actually rewound the show. I guess, can you do that nowadays? Is that what you call it when you're watching a, a digital version of the program? Anyway, I had I had to go back and watch uh, two specific sequences again just to hear the music. The music is that good. It's the kind of stuff you wish you would hear in a Disney-produced Star Wars TV show. The first sequence is similar to the sequence in the Star Trek films where we get to see the beauty shots of the Enterprise and get to experience nothing but gorgeous visuals and music. 
Here, after its retrofit, the Orville is given the green light to leave space dock, and all we are left with are dazzling visuals of the retrofitted Orville flying past the camera with Kevin Casca's bold, sumptuous, ambitious, exuberant, wondrous music playing away. It's magical stuff. The second sequence that just made my jaw drop was the dynamic, scherzo-like music written for the arrival of the new Pterodon fighter, it's just another thrilling sequence. The last cue I wanted to showcase was a wonderful Star Wars-esque contribution by Joel McNeely. Again, here we get another sequence where the music is allowed to shine and take center stage. It's in the fourth episode called Gently Falling Rain, a superb episode, by the way, and the crew is there to escort a Union delegation to the Krill homeworld to sign a historic treaty between the two peoples. They've been warring at each other forever. As the crew of the Orville arrive, we get a visually spectacular tour of the Krill homeworld at night with McNeely's tremendous, awe-inspiring music driving home the beauty of the planet with its towering skyscrapers and neon lights illuminating the night sky. It's actually very uh, Blade Runner-esque in the visuals, not so much the score. The music's tone shifts about halfway through to highlight the military might of the planet as they, the Krill in the past along with the Union, were bitter enemies participating in massive battles, but again have uh, come together to help defeat the Kalons in Season 2. But before we get to all of that, you're going to hear Bruce Broughton's newly arranged and newly recorded main title theme for Season 3. So here now, music from a great series that I hope will continue called The Orville New Horizons, or The Orville Season 3. And here we're going to feature music from Kevin Casca, Joel McNeely, and we open up with music by Bruce Broughton.
Music from the Orville, New Horizons, with original score composed by Bruce Broughton, Kevin Casca, John Debney, Joel McNeely, and Andrew Cotty. But in that suite, you heard the main title theme as newly arranged and recorded by Bruce Broughton. You also heard selections from episodes one and four with original scores by Kevin Casca and Joel McNeely. That's my number three favorite score of 2022. And you can get four and a half hours of music from this third season on 20th Century Studios Records. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. In at number two of my favorite scores of 2022, uh, this is my favorite film score of the year. It's Avatar The Way of Water, a film directed and produced by James Cameron. It, of course, is the sequel to the incredibly successful Avatar, released in 2009, second installment of the Avatar film series. There's going to be three more after this one. Uh, And, of course, it's going to happen because Avatar The Way of Water just brought in a truckload of cash. I think quite unexpectedly, or, or some people were actually really surprised that this film did so well, but... And audiences are hungry, hungry for great film experiences. And this uh, film, much like the first one, was a great theater-going experience. Of course, the film follows a blue-skinned humanoid Navi named Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, and he and his family, under renewed human threat, seek refuge with the aquatic Metkayana clan of Pandora. Also starring in this film is Zoe Saldana. Stephen Lang and Sigourney Weaver returns in an additional role with Kate Winslet. Just a, a quick word about the film. It's, it's not a film, honestly, that you can watch on home video or your laptop or smartphone or whatever. It just, it just won't seem right. This film is made for the theaters. Just kind of wish it would just always play so people can experience it the way you're supposed to see it. Um, and by the way, I love seeing movies at home. I love having that control, but there's just some films you have to see on the big screen. This film's an immersive experience, and that's due to the big sound and the 3D rendering is absolutely gorgeous and, and quite flawless, actually. These films just aren't normal films. You have to go to the theater to see it. So if it ever gets re-released, if any of the two films get re-released, go, please, see them in the theater. It's it's almost like it's almost like a ride at Disney World. It just captivates you and, and, and sucks you in for three hours. It's wonderful. Now, what I'm going to say next is basically just me gushing about the score. There's just so much to unpack into this film score that I could I can't do it justice in the short amount of time. So I hope you don't mind me just putting forth my opinions about the score that I actually wrote down while experiencing the album almost on repeat for a few weeks after its release. My, my first experience with this score was just before seeing it. I, now, I usually do this, and this was one of my most anticipated film scores of the year, so how was I now going to listen to it before seeing the film? I spent a considerable amount of time defending composer Simon Franklin on social media after it was announced that he was scoring the film. The original score composer for Avatar was James Horner, who passed away in 2015, 
and the Avatar scoring duties were passed down to Franklin, who had worked closely with Horner on the first film, crafting all the electronic sounds in the score. So when I hit play on the first album, there's a second release actually, which is an expanded album. I was hoping that everything I said about Franklin as a composer was correct. Well, I'm happy to report that all the praise I gave to Franklin before the score was released was warranted. From the opening few notes of the score, you're instantly transported back to the world of Pandora. It's not just a rehash of the first score, thank goodness, uh, but it does share the same DNA. There are lovely, touching, and respectful nods and quotes from Horner's original score all throughout its playing time. Additionally, Franklin develops these ideas further and creates new ones along the way, giving rise to a uniquely Franklin score that fits in well with Horner's established Avatar musical framework. Much like the first score, electronics are present and enhances the orchestral material, giving the score an identity of its own. The presence of new synths and electronic sounds and samples in the score are wonderful, but the organic also rings true. There's just lovely string melodies, solo horns, and yes, the danger motif, the four-note danger motif that James Horner made rather famous or uh, infamous. It depends on how you see it. And I can't forget about the leaving home tree sequence where Jake must relocate his family to avoid the incoming danger. In the film, it's just an emotional punch in the gut, mainly due to Franklin's excellent score. Interestingly enough, this was the first cue that Franklin actually wrote, and it's one of the many brand new, fully realized and expansive themes that radiate from this score. Interestingly enough, Cameron, James Cameron, was hands-on with the score. There were something like four to five hours of material written in total for the film. There was constant changes. That's typical for James Cameron. So it's quite amazing how coherent this score really is. In the film, it follows all the highs and lows perfectly. The textures and orchestrations Franklin brought to the table are so wonderfully integrated. The score is everything I could have ever hoped for after Horner's passing. Franklin's score is a blessing, I think, for film score enthusiasts. It's rich, powerful, ethereal, haunting, magical, melodic, and deeply emotional. So take note, composers. This is how one writes a sequel score, especially if you aren't the composer for the first film. So please play all the old themes, utilize the established musical template for the first film, and just build on that. And yes, James Horner's passing hit us all pretty hard back in 2015, so I think it was easy for the filmmakers and James Cameron to make sure Horner's legacy and soundscape continued. Franklin did what any honorable composer would do after losing a close friend. Through his new score, he honored Horner's legacy by incorporating the qualities that made Horner's music so brilliant and elevating the music to new heights, something Horner himself would have done as well. It's a stunning album. It's a stunning film score. In my opinion, it's an incredible achievement in film scoring. And one added bonus, the score was orchestrated and conducted by William Ross. Here now is my favorite film score of 2022. This is Avatar The Way of Water, with music composed by Simon Franklin.
Music from the original motion picture soundtrack to Avatar The Way of Water. Music composed by Simon Franklin, orchestrated and conducted by William Ross. In the original soundtrack recordings available on 20th Century Studios Records. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to the flagship show with Eric Woods. So, my favorite score of 2022 comes from a television miniseries called The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, with original score by Bear McCreary. This series was released on Amazon Prime Video. Of course, it's based on the novel, The Lord of the Rings, and the, its appendices by J.R.R. Tolkien. The series is set thousands of years before Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and depicts the major events of Middle-Earth's Second Age. It was produced by Amazon Studios in association with New Line Cinema and in consultation with the Tolkien estate. Now, Amazon bought the television rights for The Lord of the Rings from the Tolkien estate in November 2017, making a five-season production commitment worth at least $1 billion dollars. US. This would make it the most expensive television series ever made. Although uh, there were a lot of fans that weren't happy with the news and didn't really like the series. Personally, I enjoyed it. I have no ties to the books, never read them. I enjoyed the first three Lord of the Rings films very much. Didn't enjoy the Hobbit films at all. And uh, I really enjoyed this series, which I binged over the course of a few nights. I'm okay with the filmmakers doing their own thing. I don't think the film needs to stick strictly with its source material. The source material is there for inspiration and interpretation. The filmmakers can tell whatever story they want. I'm kind of glad I don't have any ties to the source material whatsoever. I can just enjoy the series for what it is. It gave me that fantasy adventure kick I was looking for, and it looked amazing. Sounded great, and the score by Bear McCreary was nothing short of brilliant. Um, And the use of that word is actually an understatement because what McCreary pulled off in this opening season was nothing short of miraculous and in my opinion is one of the century's greatest scores and in my opinion one of the best scores ever written. You can call it hyperbole all you want but I truly believe in that statement. Now I could sit here and talk about the score all day but nothing I'll say will really do the score justice as I've said with a couple of other scores already in today's show. What I can recommend is that you check out a few resources online. First of all, check out Bear McCreary's blog. It goes into great detail about the creation of the score and all of the themes he wrote and what inspired him to write them the way that they are. I also highly recommend reading the words of one of the leading film music journalists of his generation, John Broxton, who in his review breaks down everything that is right about the score in an absolutely massive but informative read. Please check out his site at Movie Music UK. Now, here's what I'm going to say about the score before I let the music do the talking. Uh, There are at least 17 new themes for characters and places in this score. Themes are always important to McCreary. However, McCreary felt that he had a more daunting task with his themes and integration to the score, more so than Howard Shore did for his stunning scores for the films that he wrote over 20 years ago. That's due to the fact that each and every character got its own theme, where in the first Lord of the Rings film, there's a fellowship theme for the entire group. But in the Rings of Power, there is now factions of heroes. So the individual themes were needed. Now, I I really can't believe it's taken decades to get a 
series of grand orchestral choral scores with this much thematic depth and dramatic power again. As I mentioned, it's a monumental achievement that should be celebrated by all. And I know there's people out there that don't like it, but man, this this score is is simply sensational. Now, as I mentioned, each land, faction, race does have its own themes. Numenor, orcs, dwarves, etc. All of those factions needed distinct themes, and they needed themes for the distinct characters within those worlds, lands, and races. So McCreary needed to make all those themes easily distinguishable with color or instrumentation, melody or intent or emotion. Certain characters have distinct instruments given to them that no other character or place gets, and each theme gets its own distinct interval. While the music is clearly written in McCreary's own unmistakable voice, his goal was to ground the music in the established sound and template left by Howard Shore. Now, while McCreary is doing his own thing and none of the previous Shore themes are in this score, the sound of the score still creates musical continuity with the essence of Shore's contributions to Peter Jackson's films. Now, over nine hours of music was written for the series. All orchestra was recorded in London. Choir was recorded in Vienna. Soloists were recorded all over Europe, each episode taking about 10 days to two weeks to record in total time, but were actually being recorded over the course of four days. All this happening while McCreary was writing music for a new episode. And usually McCreary is getting help from his team to write cues for all of his projects. However, this time, McCreary wrote every single note himself, making one of the most personal projects of his entire career. Now, his team assisted him with all the other duties, orchestrating, copying, even conducting, which allowed McCreary to have more time to write, which is incredibly important to McCreary. At the 2022 IFMCA Awards, Bear McCreary took home two awards for his score, for Score of the Year and Best Original Score for Television, while winning two other awards for Composer of the Year and Video Game Score of the Year for God of War Ragnarok. As I mentioned earlier, this is for me easily the best score of the year, one of the best of the century, one of the finest scores ever written. It's a monumental achievement for television, streaming, whatever, and it's hands down McCreary's greatest achievement as a composer up to this point, and the man has written some dazzling scores over his career. I really wish I could play the whole thing for you, but you can listen to every single note McCreary wrote for this series on your favorite music streaming platform. I'm going to play for you character themes from the first album released, that was a highlights album of the series. The themes are for Galandriel, Casa Doom, Nori Brandyfoot, The Stranger, and Numenor. And the original soundtrack recording was released through Amazon Music. Well, that's it for our show, and that's it for our countdown for our favorite scores of 2022. Hopefully in 2023, I don't take this long to get through the entire list. But there was just so much great music in 2022. A, really a great year, in my humble opinion. Especially when you get like scores of this caliber, especially in this top five. Uh, extraordinary, extraordinary music. Extraordinary ex orchestral music. It's still alive and well, as evident in this four-part series. So thanks again for listening. My name is Eric Woods. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. And now music from The Lord of the Rings, The Rings Power music by Bear McCreary. And until next time, please take care wherever you are in this world and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers you hear throughout the program, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And wherever you're listening to us today, please take a moment right now to leave us a rating and a review of the podcast. You can get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt at our Tee Public store. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio. And don't forget to check us out on the web at cinematicsound.net.